um, God just was all over that meeting. Wonderful things happened. Uh, we had some folks from here that got to come join us and grateful for them being there. But here's what I'll tell you. As far as we know, there were 86 people who made professions of faith. Yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And uh, about 2,500 came out to it, so very thankful for that. If you want to see, you can, you can get, get on YouTube, and if you'll just type in uh, Hope for Lake Cumberland Crusade, you'll find it. It'll pop right up, and you can, you can watch that. You can scroll on down to, uh, there, there's about 30-minute pre-service music and that kind of thing. But about 30 minutes into it, you'll, you'll get into the heart of the meeting. So thankful for that good response and good turnout and all those great things that the Lord did through it. Are there other Thanksgiving testimonies? How's God working in your lives? Yes. Yes. Right. Amen. That's prayer of thanksgiving. Thank God for that. Who else? Yeah, you need to tell us how things go. Amen. Praise the Lord. I pray a lot for that island. Um, I've been in the Dominican a couple of times, but I've been in Haiti a lot. We, my, my last church I pastored in Lexington, we, we uh, adopted Haiti as part of our mission strategy, and we sent a lot of groups there, several a year. We actually planted a new church in an area that developed after the earthquake there. And um, we were able on that same, we bought a piece of property out there, built the church and um, had a school and just had started an orphanage when things got to the condition that they're in now. Um, so I, I thank God for those days and for that island, I, I pray. But thankful that y'all had a great uh, trip there. Dominican Republic and Haiti share the island of Hispaniola. So there are two little nations, Caribbean nations, on the same island. We were able to visit a Haitian refugee. Were you? Okay. Wow. Okay. Wow. Amen. Who else? Good news. You're waiting until next week, aren't you? Oh, yeah, I'd be glad to. So, yeah, I uh, preached homecoming service Sunday morning 
at the Horse Creek Baptist Church in Clay County. And Horse Creek, if you know anything about Baptist churches in Clay County, Horse Creek's has always been a really, really strong church, great church. And I served them years ago. It was my first full-time ministry right out of college. And um, it's just good to be back with those folks. They had a tremendous crowd and some pretty good eating. And uh, you know how those homecoming services go. It was, it was, a, it was a good day. Thank you for asking. Anybody else? All right, then let's go to the Lord in prayer corporately together and. I'll lead us one more time using our Acts model, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. So as we bow our heads and hold our hearts up to God, uh, let's just start out praying from our hearts, uh, praising Him, not just for all the great things that He does for us, but just for who He is, the great God of glory. Praise Him for just a moment tonight. You need to take a moment and just confess anything in your heart that you need to bring to the Lord. Take a moment and do that right now. Tease for Thanksgiving. We've Mentioned a few things tonight for which we're thankful. Take a moment and tell God how you thank Him for the blessings that we celebrate tonight. close out this prayer time with supplication where we just pray on the behalf of others or even needs that we have in our, in our own lives. Bring those before the Lord. Father, I praise you that we can come together and have these moments of fellowship and worship. And Father, to be able to pray, Lord, help us to never take for granted that you have opened up your very throne room of grace and through the Lord Jesus, we can come to you and we have open access, you hear us. And Father, you answer our prayers, and we're thankful for that tonight. Father, thank you for all the many blessings that have been mentioned tonight. Uh, 
Uh, Lord, I know there's several others in our hearts that we've just not spoken. We are very blessed people. We're blessed, Lord, to live in the country we live in. We're blessed, Lord, to live in the community that we live in. We're blessed, Lord, to be a part of this family of faith here at Bible Baptist. And we want to praise you tonight that you are a God who is not just God of yesterday or even today, but you're God of tomorrow. And so we will trust you. And we just ask you, Father, to guide our steps. Help us, Lord, not to veer to the left nor to the right, but to stay in your will. And Father, I pray tonight as we continue our little study of the model prayer that you would teach us from your word. We do have open arts, Lord, and we want to hear from you. And I pray, Father, that through this, we would each become people who are more serious about our prayer lives. And Father, may we be like Daniel of old. May we be those people who always come to you morning, noon, and night, all through the day, Father, and communicate with you in prayer. Thank you that you want us to do that. We praise you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 9 through 13 again as we, uh, in just a moment, say out loud together the model prayer, but we'll hone in on the very last verse, the first part of the last verse, and then we'll pick up the latter part of the last verse, verse 13. The next time we get to return to this, as I said next week on Tuesday night, uh, we'll have a Thanksgiving theme. I just realized that our rooms are closed off. I was looking for people that I'll be sitting there and people that I'll... Y'all shouldn't do me that way. I'm getting used to where people sit and when they're not where they're supposed to be, it kind of does something to me, but it's all right. It's all right. Ah, what was I, why did I do that? (laughs) Squirrel, squirrel, you know. (laughs) But we'll, we'll come back, I think I was saying, after Thanksgiving and wrap all of this up with the latter part of verse 13. So let's just uh, say it together. Of course, Jesus said, after this manner, pray. So here we go. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I don't know if it's occurred to you as we've worked through the disciples' prayer, but really everything that Jesus teaches us here to ask for, to pray about, when we come to the Lord, already corresponds to a promise that the Lord has given. I want you to think about it. We're to pray, Lord, hallowed be thy name. Well, will God's name 
be hallowed. Will the name of God be glorified? You better bet it will be. We're taught to pray, Lord, your kingdom come. Will God's kingdom come? It absolutely will. We pray, Lord, your will be done. And of course, we're focusing that prayer as we talked about on our own lives. And we're praying as we pray, Lord, we're no better than our Savior Jesus who prayed, not my will, but your will be done. So we talked about that when we looked at that phrase. But ultimately, God's will will be done. God's will will be done. Scripture says that nothing can thwart the will of God. Then we pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Let me just ask you, will God supply our needs? He sure will. He has. He is right now. What if God just turned off all the oxygen all of a sudden? We'd be hurting, wouldn't we? You know, there's things that are just in our atmosphere that our lives depend on that God supplies. And so we talked about it that night. When we pray about daily bread, we're, take, we're praying about those necessities of life. And so all of these phrases correspond to promises that we already know that God's going to do, although there are intricacies of these as they play out in our individual lives that, that we're taking to the Lord in prayer and, and we're tuning in to Him, getting on His page, on His agenda about these issues as we pray. And so here's my thing. If God has already made promises about all of these things, then what we'll talk about tonight, He's already made us promises in regard to it as well. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we're going to see from Scripture tonight that God has already promised to do that. He will not lead us into temptation, but He will indeed deliver us from evil. So what are we praying about here? What are we saying to God when we open up this area of temptation and evil? What goes through your mind when you pray, Lord, deliver us from temptation. Take us away from evilness in the world. Have you ever thought about it? Well, let me make a contention, and I want you to hang on to this thought. This is proactive praying. Usually, when we pray about evil, when we pray about temptation, when we pray about sin, how are we usually praying? What's that? Repenting. Yeah. So usually when we mention a sin to the Lord, when we talk about evilness, as far as in our own lives, that's typically what we're doing. We're saying, God, I messed up and I need you to hear me. I'm confessing to you and I'm claiming the forgiveness that I have 
through the blood of Jesus. That's typically how we pray about sin and temptation. I think what Jesus is teaching us here is that we need to do proactive praying when it comes again to the area of temptation and sin. Rather than being reactive when our hands are caught in the cookie jar, what about praying in advance? I wonder if any of us in the room tonight uh, have a besetting sin. Now, I don't want you to say it out loud, but if you do, if you have one of these little recurring things that come up over and over again in your life, and you get in the middle of it, and maybe you get caught up doing it, and all of a sudden the conviction sets in, and you run to the Lord, would it behoove us to take that to the Lord and say, Lord, this is the propensity of my heart. This is my inclination. We sing it in that old hymn, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. What if in advance, if we would start taking those things to the Lord in prayer? Uh, I think I've told you this. Now, I have several sins in my life that if I'm not careful about, if I let myself get in the flesh, I can gravitate toward those. Some of those are very private things that you don't need to know about. Just like you have those things that I don't need to know about. But I'll tell you one of mine, if I haven't told you before, is I have the tendency to worry. And beloved, worry is a sin. It is. Because what are we saying to God when we worry? You're not big enough, God. (laughs) You are not strong enough. You don't love me enough to take care of this need and this issue in my life. And so I'm not going to lay it at your feet. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to let it be a knot in my stomach. I'm going to let it affect my heart. I'm going to let it affect my attitude. I'm just going to worry about it. Now, my lesson tonight is not on worry, but I'll say this about worry. We should never worry about the things we can't change. You know why? Because we can't change them. If it's not in your power to change something, you should not worry about it. And listen, I'm not, if I'm pointing a finger at you, there's six coming back at me right now. That's what I remind myself of constantly. If I can't change it, why do I worry about it? So we should never worry about the things we can't change. And we should not worry about the things we can change. We ought to change. If you can't change, you can't change. If you can change, then don't worry about it. Just be the path to the change, right? Start changing. So I don't know why I do it, but I do. I can really bog down in worry. And when I do, I get convicted of it because it's sinful. And I do this. I'm not trying to tell you all to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. 
but I, I do it about worry and about other issues that can crop up in my flesh. I've learned to pray in advance. <laughs> so when the, the Bible here, where Jesus is teaching us, Lord, lead us not into temptation, he wants us to get specific about that. Now, he's just giving us a general category because he wants this to fit everyone. But for me, occasionally, I need to pray, Lord, help me not to sin the sin of worry. And you can fill in the blank. If there's a sin that crops up over and over in your life, you can fill that in and you ought to say, Lord, I'm praying not for forgiveness, but I'm praying for protection. That's what this is about. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus is teaching us to pray in advance for spiritual protection in our lives. So, let's make sure we know what we're not praying about here. Would God ever lead us to a place of sin? We know that. We know that He never would. Uh, Let's shed some light on that just to make it very, very clear. James, in James 1.13, writes this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. James can't be more clear than that. So we know this. Scripture does not contradict itself. Jesus wouldn't say one thing, and then his brother, by the way, James here is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. Jesus wouldn't say, uh, you know, Lord, lead us not in temptation, if that was really ever a thing that God would do. And then James turn around and say, well, God does not tempt anyone. As a matter of fact, James makes it very clear in the next two verses because he tells us about the source of temptation. In James chapter 1, 14 and 15, he says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So, Jesus is not saying that we should pray, Lord, don't let me be tempted by you. But really what he's meaning is, in a very general sense, we need to always remember that we live in a very volatile, very destructive, very dangerous world, spiritually speaking. We do. And there are things that are going on around us, my friends, and I'm not trying to be, as my older son says, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. But there is a spiritual realm around us that we cannot sense physically or see with our eyes. Uh, There are demons 
in this world. And Satan, remember this, Satan is not in hell. The devil is not in hell. Now, we've read the back of the book, and we know where he's headed, and he even knows where he's headed. That's why he wreaks all the havoc he can right now, because the devil knows his days are numbered. Never forget that Satan and the demons of hell know the Word of God. They do. They know what God's going to do. They were in heaven. Every demon that's out there was at one time in heaven. And so they understood God in His divine purposes, in His will that we talked about a moment ago that won't be thwarted. They know all of those things. They know that one day they will be consigned to the lake of fire. That's what the Bible says. But in the meantime, always remember this, Satan, according to the New Testament, is like that roaring lion who prances around to and fro seeking that he might do what? Devour. He came to steal, destroy, and to kill. It's what Satan does. And he's in the world, and honestly, he's very good at it. So we live in a dangerous world, and we should never, ever lose sight of that. There are way too many people. We all know examples of people who have lost sight of that. Uh, How many could name a person, maybe in your own life, somebody that's very personal with you, or maybe just someone that you knew about who at one point seemed to be on God's side, on God's team, working and serving the Lord, and then in a moment they allowed Satan to enter in and they succumbed to temptation. And and a lot of these people have lost their testimonies and their ministries and all kinds of things, all because I think it's easy to lose a grasp on how very spiritually dangerous this world is. And it's, it's all around us. It's everywhere we look. I won't say a lot about this because we've already talked about it, but obviously I get a lot of questions when I'm with other people about the things that are going on in the Middle East and Israel and all of that, and it's just so hard to understand. You know, now when you turn on the television, it's an amazing thing how in just a few days of time it changed from the atrocities that the radical Islamic Hamas terror group uh, did to, to Israel, and now that Israel has taken its stand trying to rip them out of there, Israel is already the bad guy. You know, and I I don't want to say much about that, but I'll say this, and I think I said it that Sunday night when I talked to you about those things. I feel sorry. I feel horribly sorry for little children and innocent people that get caught up in those things. Don't we all hate that? And I pray for them. But I'm going to just tell you something. 
talking about danger in the world, when you're a political organization or a country or whatever that looks like, and you harbor a radical group like that, and you don't get out of there, and you don't get your children and your family out of there, and you just let that happen around you, there are terrible consequences for that. And it's not that my heart doesn't break for those who get caught up in it. It's terrible. It's horrible. I hate it. But there's consequences for allowing evil to thrive around you. And I said all that simply to say this, in those questions that people pose to me, I try to remind them that we're dealing with people who the demons of hell... Now, when I say of hell, you know what I just said. They're not in hell, they're on the earth, but you know what I mean by that. The demons and Satan himself, they charge all of that. That's demonically charged. When people can do what they've done and you know and I won't even mention the horrible things because you know what they are with children and women and on and on the list goes folks that's demonic that that's not just bad that's not just you know poor form or bad conduct you can't do those things without being demon-possessed. That's my point. And my friends, that's what Jesus, I think, is teaching us here. It's an element of our prayer life. We should always be vigilant and to know that we live, again, in a very demonic, dangerous world. We see personal examples of people that forget that and, and they lapse in judgment and lose their families and their lives and their ministries. We see what's happening over in the other side of the world. We see those examples. We shouldn't have to be reminded that we ought to pray, Lord, the, the danger's all around me. The danger is everywhere I go. Help me be vigil. Help me not to go to the wrong places. Lord, lead me not into temptation. God, guide my steps. This is exactly what Jesus is teaching us to pray here. Guide my steps and my thoughts and my actions and reactions so that I am not in those places of temptation. It's a prayer that grows out of self-distrust. I want you to listen to me closely. If you start trusting yourself too much, you'll be getting in trouble in this area. If you ever feel like you're 10 foot tall and, and bulletproof, then that's when you have a tendency to get into trouble. It's like God told Cain. You remember the whole Cain-Abel scenario in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 4, you got Cain and Abel. They both knew 
that they had to present sacrifices to God. And you remember that Abel brought a live offering. He brought from his fold his animal to sacrifice to God. What did God do with Abel's sacrifice? He accepted it. He received it. It was an appropriate sacrifice. Cain, on the other hand, did not. And even though Abel was a tender of the flocks, Cain had access to flocks too. He ate just like that, uh, that Cain did. He, he, he used animals the, the same way. But he didn't do that, and so there's this issue between Cain and Abel, and God accepts Abel's sacrifice. He rejects Cain's sacrifice, and they get angry with one another, and God comes down. God sees that Cain's countenance had fallen. And God gives him a lesson. He didn't hear it because he had leave this lesson and go out into the field and kill his brother. You remember what God told Cain. I believe it's in Genesis 4, verse 7. He told Cain that sin is where? It's crouching at the door. Sin is crouching at the door. In other words, when you go out, when you come in, that's what he means by at the door. The door of your home, you go out that door, you come in that door. When you go out and when you come in, sin is ever present. It's always out there and you need to, I'll use that word again, you need to be vigil. So Lord, lead us not into temptation. Let me say it again. Guide me, God. Protect my steps protect my mind, protect my heart, that I won't allow myself to be in these places of temptation. So again, the prayer is, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil, deliver us from sin. Now, we understand this. None of us are ever going to be perfect. Anybody perfect tonight? If you are, tell me your secret. There's only one person that thinks I'm perfect, and that's Miss Amy. And she actually doesn't. But anyway, we're not perfect. We're sinners saved by grace is who we are. That's what we are. Now the grace part ought to trump out the sinner part. Paul writes and he says, Do I continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid. You know, if you if you ever start looking at grace as if it's a license for you to do whatever you want to do to gratify the flesh and to sin without restraint, if that is your view of grace, I don't think you've ever had a touch of God's grace. I, I'm just honest about that. So the, the grace part ought to trump out the sinner when we think about being sinners saved by grace. But the truth of the matter is, 
until the Lord calls us home, we will deal with sin. Being saved does not mean you're perfect. It just doesn't. I had a neighbor one time. that You know, there are certain Christians, there's a sect of Christianity that feels like uh, you get to a point where you live above sin, that you just no longer sin. <laughs> and so I had a neighbor one time that was trying to convince me that he had arrived at that point in his life, that he was perfect, that he, that he didn't sin anymore. I just wanted to remind him that I was his neighbor. <laughs> I was his neighbor. And uh, finally, in in the conversation one day, he he said something to that effect, and I I just asked him, I said, when was the last time you led somebody to the Lord? When was the last time you shared the gospel of Jesus with somebody? And he stammered and wasn't able to give me a quick reply, and I said, you might want to rethink your theology. You know, folks, it's a sin not to share Jesus. It just is. And um, the fact of the matter is, we'll always deal with sin. It's going to be a part of our lives until we're glorified. Justified, sanctified, glorified. Was saved, being saved, will be saved. And that ultimate part, that glorification, that's when we no longer deal with sin. But right now, we deal with sin. Let me give you three things, and then we're going to look at one more verse of Scripture. When it comes to sin, when you're praying, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Of course, as we've said all along in our prayer lives, the It's not like these are just magical, hocus-pocus words that we're supposed to repeat, although I think it's in order to memorize and repeat the Lord's Prayer. But the, the pattern is, Lord, help me with this area of sin in my life. And so we ought to always admit we're weak. Never boast about spiritual strength. Because that's a sin in itself, right? If you boast, look at me, I'm somebody, God's done a great thing in my life. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Well, where's your humility? You never boast about your strength. And I'll tell you why. Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, and he says this, Let anyone who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. So never forget that it's a dangerous spiritual climate that we live in. And when you see a brother or a sister in Christ that falls, now here's what we know about sin. We've taught something over the years that's frankly not so. Have you ever heard a preacher or a Bible teacher 
say something like this, all sin is the same. That's categorically untrue. I know what they mean by that. And I'll explain that. Sin is the same in that any sin separates us from a holy God. All right? Any sin will separate you from a holy God. But hear me out on this. If I were to tell you a little subtle lie tonight, and by the way, that's probably not a good way to put it. No lie is really a little lie. It's a lie. But if I were to let this lay aside the, the adjective, if I were to lie to you tonight, I would be sinning against the Lord. I'd be sinning against you. If I were to kill you tonight, if I were to murder you tonight, then it's a sin against you, it's a sin against the Lord, and look at all the ramifications, right? I'm hurting your loved ones, I'm hurting your family. So it is not true that all sin is the same in the human experience. It's just not. It's not. But we should never look at anybody regardless of their sin, even if they do one of those big things that have a lot of consequences and ramifications. We should never look at that person and judge that person in a way that only God has the right to judge him or her. Now be careful when you think about judging. Calling a sin a sin is not judging. You're just saying what the Word says. But I'm talking about spiritually judging that only God has the right to do. You you can't do that and you can never look down your Christian nose at that person and say, shame, shame, shame. You can't do that because, my friend, the Bible says you better take heed if you think you stand because you might just fall, I believe this. I think any one of us is just the right amount of temptation, the right amount of being away from the Word of God, the right amount of not being in prayer, the right amount of not being in fellowship with God, plus the right amount of temptation at the right time or the wrong time, however you would want to say that, I think any one of us could fall to anything. So, don't be mean to people when they fall. You ought to love them. And Scripture, it's a lesson for another night, but Scripture's all about that we ought to try to restore them, not push them down, not grind them down into the earth, not ignore them, but to try to restore them. So my friend, we should, we should never boast about our strength. We should never purposely go into temptation. I'll say a little more about that in a moment. That's playing with fire, Right? If you know, I'm on metal for a minute, but if you know 
that watching a certain soap opera, do they still have those? But if you know that watching a certain thing could cause you to be tempted, why the devil are you going to watch it? Why are you going to go there? If you know that listening to something is going to cause you to be tempted, why do you put yourself in that point of vulnerability? It's stupid. It's not ignorant, it's just downright stupid for you and for me. So we, not, we, we ought to never think that, that we're so strong we can't fall. We ought to never purposely put ourselves into temptation. Now let me say we ought to never lead someone else into temptation. I'll give you one strong example of that. We have lost our way when it comes to alcohol in our communities. And look, I can, if you want to talk about wine in the Bible and all those kinds of things, I can have that conversation with you. But I will tell you this. And I know people, I've seen it split a great church And there were people on both sides. You know, people say you can't get away from it these days and all that kind of thing, whatever. But when you put yourself in a position to profit over something that tempts someone else and can destroy their lives and destroy their families, that's a terrible place to be and God will judge you for it. We should never lead others to temptation. That's not my hobby horse, by the way. There's a lot of, uh, that's just one example that comes quickly to mind. There are all kinds of others, too. But it, we should never, we should never lead people to temptation. Now, here's the good news Paul wrote again to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10 13. Well, before I read this verse, Let me ask you a question, and don't be too quick to respond. Does the Bible say, I'll I'll, I'll tell you this, with what we've gone through in our family, we've had people, I've had people to come up to me and say, Brother Allen, you're going to get through this, you're going to be okay, because God promises to never put more on you than you can bear. Now let me ask you, Does the Bible say that God will not put more on us than we can bear? It it does not. You won't find that anywhere in Scripture. Because I'll tell you this, sometimes God allows us to go through things that we cannot bear just so we'll lean into Him. Sometimes we're so stubborn that we never look up until we're flat on our backs. This is the verse that most people get it from. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, 
God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The context of that verse is about temptation. It's not about life in general. So that verse does not say that God won't put more on you than you can bear. But the verse does say, number one, that temptation is common. Temptation is common. Whatever tempts you, I will almost guarantee you it tempts somebody else. Right? Now I'm not saying that your temptation is my temptation, my temptation is your temptation. Because I'll tell you this, for me personally, you could get every bottle of alcohol in Rockcastle County and every syringe of drugs and every, I mean, you could pile all of that substance abuse paraphernalia and, and all the substances out in front of me. And you know what? And I'm not boasting here. I'm not, I'm not saying that I would never do that. But what I'm telling you is that would not tempt me. That's not my temptation. But I tell you this, if Miss Barb wanted to make me some more gingerbread, this wouldn't be her fault. But if she did that and put it up in a box for me, I might eat the whole thing before I get home. But it wouldn't be your fault. It'd be my fault. You see what I'm saying? What tempts somebody else perhaps doesn't tempt me. And what tempts me may not tempt somebody else. But what tempts me will tempt somebody else. Somebody out there is tempted like I'm tempted, and somebody out there is tempted like you're tempted. Here's the thing you cannot honestly say. I cannot overcome this temptation because I'm the only one that's tempted like this. It's not true. The Bible says it's common. Temptation is common, but here's the good news, and we know this, God is faithful. God's faithful when you go through the disappointments and the hurts in your life, and God's faithful when you're walking through the fires of temptation. Don't forget that. God is faithful. And then Paul describes how faithful he is. He won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. If you get tempted to the level that you just can't say no, that's on you. You remember what James writes back in James 1.14? Each person is tempted when he is lured away, when he is enticed. And he gives over to it and conception happens and sin is birthed. But God won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. People that say, I can't quit, whatever the sin is, that is false. If that's not false then the Bible is not true. Right? Because God says He's faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. beautiful thing is 
He'll do what, church? He will provide a way of escape. Just because you get tempted does not mean that you have to fall to the sin. Does not mean that. Because Scripture says God will give you a way of escape. I'll give you three things. You know these words. Stop, drop, and roll. Now, when were you taught that? If you, Yeah, they taught us that Broadhead Elementary School years ago. Get caught on fire, just stop what you're doing, drop down to the ground, roll over, and smother it out. Don't let that fire burn you up. Stop, drop, and roll. Stop, drop, and roll. Don't let the fire of temptation burn you up. Stop, drop, and and roll. Let me tell you what I mean and I'm finished. When the temptation comes, stop and think about it. Think about what it's going to do to you. Think about the consequences it could have in your family. And folks, let's not forget this. Think about the consequences it could have in the church. Stop. In the middle of temptation, stop and think. Drop. Drop to your knees and pray. Now, I'm not saying that you literally have to get down on your knees. Wouldn't hurt us sometimes, though. Start praying about it. When the temptation comes, drop it and pray. Here's what I've discovered in my life. I'll just go back to my personal issue with worry. When I get bogged down in worry, if I, if I will just start praying, I don't worry. And it's not just with worry. Anything that tempts me, if I will just stop, think about it, drop and start praying. You know, we sing it in the old hymn. When temptations round you gather, breathe that holy name in prayer. And I promise you this, if you pray as you're being tempted, the temptation will fly away. Now why is that? You're communicating with God. You're connecting with God in prayer. And when you're connecting with God, the temptation loses its strength. It dissipates. It goes away. Stop, drop, roll. Roll, roll away. Get away from it. Get out of there. You know, if you're in a place where the temptation is coming, why would you stay there? Why would you stay there? I, I, I have counseled so many people that just can't quit going back to the same old places. Bless their hearts. If that same old place is a place of temptation, don't flirt with it. Don't go near it. Get out of there. So in our prayer life, we're proactive. So if you don't take anything else away from this night, take this home with you. Be proactive about temptation and about sin and about evil in the world. Lord, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, here it is. You know it. I know it. Here is my problem. The next time I get tempted to do this. Give me the strength. Be proactive. Pray about it. 
in advance. And if we do that, we might be amazed at how God delivers. I'm done. We'll move on to our prayer list. Well, any any questions? Any? I had an old professor who used to say, "Any questions, comments, or elaborations? Questions, comments, or elaborations? Can't do it like Mr. Sam, but go ahead."